Amen. Have a seat. Well, good morning. Good morning. Well, um, Noah, nice work. He got it up just in time. <laughs> uh, it's so funny. The Williams teachers come to me, or the principal came to me sometimes. She's like, I mean, have you guys been adjusting things? Sometimes it just doesn't work and it just turns off. I'm like, ah, that sounds familiar. So uh, we'll just keep doing the best that we can do. Hey, if you don't know me, my name is JT. I'm one of the pastors here at Freshwater. So thankful that everybody's here today. Um, I'm really excited today. Um, and, and here's why. I, I'm, about, I'm about to share some opinions here, so just take them with a grain of salt, like, right? But like, well, I don't know why you love it when I share opinions, but um, I feel like today's passage is one that we're just like, just simply lucky to have. Well, let me rephrase. Since I don't really believe in luck, one that I just feel like we're just so blessed to be given. And I, hopefully you'll see that as we go. And so um, if you haven't read it before or you haven't read this story in a long time, um, you might have read it quickly. And I bet you've enjoyed it because this, this is a good story. I mean, it literally, it's just a good story about Jesus and his disciples. I really love it, especially if we add in next week, what we're getting into next week. Um, it's just a really good story. But it's one of those, if you really, if you really dwell on if you really think about what's happening, which is what I get to do every day for work, like I really get to dwell on these things, um, I, it, I think it can literally make you fall more in love with Christ and really just stand in awe like of his genuine love for us. Not just this love that we talk about all the time that just feels way out there, this really big thing, God is love, but like his genuine love for you and, and for me. And so I'm, I'm just praying. I've been praying all week, but I'm just praying that this is the case for all of us today because it's just been a, man, it's been a privilege for me to spend the last week in this, in this passage. It's one of those weeks where as I just sit there and I studied, I thought, man, I cannot believe this is like what I get to do. I can't believe this is like what God's, where God's placed me. Because those of you that have been around a long time, you know that I thought I was going to be a salesman forever, right? I didn't leave being a salesman in my career and everything I thought my life was going to be so this could be my job. This isn't a job. This is what I feel like God's called me to do. And this is one of those weeks I'm just like, God, thank you that this is, I mean, I feel like that every week, but in particular this week in this passage that this is what I, I get to do is, is just soak in God's word. So if you haven't been with us, or you haven't been with us lately, um, we've been in the walking through the gospel of John, and today we are starting the last chapter in this book, and it's the second, second to last sermon in the entire series. Jesus has lived his perfect life. He's given his life as the perfect sacrifice on the cross to conquer sin and death once and for all and for, forevermore, and he's been raised to show us that, that sacrifice was sufficient and that we really can be saved through him. And so what we're going to be looking at today is the third time the resurrected Jesus appeared to his disciples. He may have appeared more to them. If you look at other gospel accounts, there may have been more, but in the gospel of John, this is the third and last time Jesus is going to appear to his disciples. And so before we read our text today, we're going to jump into a different text first. And it's going to become really clear why here in a second. So if you've got your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 is where we're actually going to start today. And so where, 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 will we, where we will pick it up in a second in John 21 um, is the last time on earth that Jesus is with his disciples. And what we're going to see in that last story in John 21 is Jesus, um, well, it's actually going to be Jesus' disciples going fishing and catching absolutely nothing and catching absolutely nothing until Jesus shows up. 
that's the last time he's with them. But uh, does anybody remember what happened the first time that Peter and James and John encountered Jesus? The first time they ever encountered him, what were they doing? They were fishing. And they were, capture, and they were capturing absolutely nothing until Jesus showed up. And so I think there's something for us to learn, to look at the first time that Jesus encounters his disciples when they were fishing and capture, capturing absolutely nothing, and then looking at the last time and the differences and, and how it reflects Jesus and how it reflects us as his disciples when we look at the last time that Jesus ever encountered his disciples while they were catching nothing fishing. And where I think we're going to go, where I think we're going to see is by looking at the first time and the last time and comparing those two things in a way that maybe some of us have never done before. We're just going to get this beautiful picture of who our Savior really is. And this is the encouragement I was talking about this week. Just this beautiful picture of who our Savior really is and the miraculous things that he has done through those and for those that love him. Because it is miraculous, and then just the things that he's inviting us into, I think this story helps to make it clear. So let's start today in Luke chapter 5, like I said before. This is Jesus' first encounter with Peter and the brothers James and John. John being the John that wrote the gospel of John. So we're going to read the whole thing in Luke chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to look, read through verse 11. So start in John, not John, Luke 5, verse 1 with me. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, on Jesus, to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is a a part of the Sea of Galilee. They're at the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon, again, Peter, Simon Peter, he asked him to put, put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Right? Exclamation point. Like he's pretty emphatic about it. Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knee, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. Or as some of your translations, you will become fishers of men. Verse 11, and when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. All right, so real quickly, let's just point out some of the highlights of that story because they're going to become important. So Simon Peter, Peter was a fisherman by trade like James and John, and they seem to be either partners or people who work together. Again, James and John, the brothers, John being the one who wrote the gospel of John, who was a witness of everything that Christ did. They fished all night long, and they caught absolutely nothing. But when Jesus told them to cast their nets in, Peter agreed. And they ended up catching so many nets that the nets could, or so many fish that the nets could not contain them, and the net began to rip, which means they started to lose some of them. And so then James and John, they bring their boat over, and they start to help. But they take in so many fish that they, they start to get completely overwhelmed, and the boats start sinking, which is crazy to think about. Like, their nets are breaking, the boats are sinking. And when Peter finally encounters Jesus after this moment, what does Peter do? 
he asks Jesus to depart from him. Isn't that a crazy response? He asked Jesus to leave because being in Jesus' presence, after seeing this miraculous thing happen, after coming into the glorious presence of Jesus and realizing he may not understand that he's the Christ yet, but he understands there's something amazing about this, glorious about this Jesus, he asks him to part because of the weight of his own sin. He couldn't stand to be in his presence when weighed against his sin. And then finally, Jesus says, don't be afraid. I'm going to make you fishers of men, or I'm going to teach you to catch men. Follow me. And that's what happened, right? They left everything, and they followed him. It's hard for for me to even imagine that part, right? They see this one thing, and they leave everything they know, and they follow Jesus. And then the rest, as we say, is history. That's what we've been talking about through the Gospel of John this whole time. So this is the first encounter with Jesus and at least a few of his new disciples. Now, I want you to try to remember some of those details. We're going to come back to them. We're going to talk about them some more. Um, now flip over to John 21, and let's look. We, we looked at the first time. Let's look at the last time Jesus encounters many of his disciples. And just by chance, we'll put that in quotes, right? Just by chance, in the last encounter, they happen to be fishing again. Let's start in verse 1, and we'll just read the first three verses. John chapter 21, verse 1. After this, after this meaning, Jesus appeared to the other disciples two different times. The second time was when Thomas was doubting, and he, Jesus showed Thomas's hands and his feet, and then Thomas believed and declared, like, you are my Lord and my God. After this, this is another encounter. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. Again, that's just another name for the Sea of Galilee. So they're at, around the Sea of Galilee. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, this is James and John, and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. That night they caught nothing. So after everything happened in Jerusalem with the crucifixion and the resurrection, the disciples head back north to Galilee. Right, they head back north to Galilee. Now, it's kind of crazy. Um, there's some people that think that the disciples at this point ran. Right, they were around Jerusalem. Remember, they were afraid of the Jews, and at this point, um, when when all this went down, they ran back north because they were afraid to go back to Galilee. But I don't really think that's what's going on here. There's good reason to think they were afraid because they had shown that they were afraid. But in reality, Jesus had told them this was going to happen. In Mark, in Mark 14, 28, it said this, but after I am raised out, raised up, I mean resurrected, I will go before you to Galilee. He said something similar to this in, in Mark 16. So Jesus has already told them before all of this happened, right? Before he was resurrected, he's, he said, I'm going to be raised up, but they didn't understand what that meant yet, right? They didn't understand what it meant to be raised up, that Jesus is going to be resurrected. But he did say, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. So this was always a part of the plan. It was always a part of the plan that Jesus was going to encounter his disciples around Galilee. Again, something similar was said in Mark 16. So while they were there at the Sea of Galilee, Peter, James, and John, and some of the other disciples decided to go fishing. Remember, they're from this area. James, John, and Peter, they're from the area around Galilee. This is where they fished. Now, again, some people think that they started fishing as it that somehow represents that they abandoned their old way of life, and they went back to fishing, and they gave up on Jesus. 
I don't think that's the case at all. Like they went back to Galilee just as Jesus had planned. And in fact, in Mark 16, an angel said, you're going to see Jesus again in Galilee. So they went to Galilee. And while they're there waiting for Jesus to come back, what are these fishermen going to do? Fish, right? They got to eat. And it's what they know how to do. And so it doesn't sound like it's this big production. Peter's just like, you know what? I'm going to go fishing. They're like, okay, yeah, we'll go with you. So they're out there fishing. And while they're fishing, they fished all night and caught absolutely nothing. Again, let's not only read this as a story. For those of you that love to fish, have you ever been to a place where you just knew the best time to catch the fish was at night? Can you imagine going fishing and fishing all night long and and catching absolutely nothing? How frustrating that would be? Add on top of that that they weren't just going fishing. They were fishermen. This is what they do. Not only that, this is their place, the Sea of Galilee. They probably know it like the back of their hand. This is what they do. And if you've ever been to the Sea of Galilee, which I have, it's amazing. You should go. If you've ever been to the Sea of Galilee, it's actually not that big. You think of this major sea, like it's not bigger than the lakes that we have around here. It's further across in some parts, but it's really not that big. So they would have known the lake really well. They would have known the places to go fishing and they fish all night long and they catch nothing. This had to be an extraordinarily rare occurrence because these guys knew what to do and where to do it. Now, here's where the story starts to get really good. Like I'm, I'm actually excited. Okay, look at verse four. Chapter 21, John 20, 21, verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, in the Greek, that word is a familiar word, almost an intimate word. It'd be like me walking up to you and being like, hey, what's up, boys? Like, it's a familiar way to address people. Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord, right? Exclamation point. It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it, it, it was a, when Simon per, Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for the work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, but about a hundred yards off. So how many of you have ever been fishing? And then someone comes over to you and like points out some way that you're doing it wrong. I'm like, hey, if if you fish like this, you're going to, you're going to catch more fish. How much, how many of you have done that? And somebody's come over and given you unsolicited advice and you were like, oh, thank you. When sometimes you are like, if you're catching nothing for hours and hours, it feels you're like, okay, I appreciate that. But sometimes you're like, who, who are you? And why are you telling me how to fish? I know how to fish. That's really what happened here because they didn't recognize it was Jesus. So if you remember, there's other parts in the gospels where Jesus kind of veils who he is in his glorified body. He can do that. He veils, he can veil who he is. So either that's going on or it's just daybreak and they can't see very well. It doesn't really say which one it is, but either way, they don't recognize it's Jesus. And even when Jesus cries out, they don't recognize that, it, that it's Jesus. And he, and he cries out to them in that, that familial kind of familiar voice. Like I said, children, like, Hey boys, do you have any fish? No. Well, cast, cast the nets on the right side of the boat. Can, can you imagine what this would have felt like hearing this? Like, cast your nets on the right side of the boat? Really? Fishing all night? Like, just do it on the other side. 
I can't imagine how that must have felt um, in this moment. I love how it's translated in the NASB, which is a really, really accurate to the Greek, the NASB. It says, cast, cast on the right side and you will find the fish. And I kind of love that. Not, not you'll find some fish, you'll find the fish. Maybe kind of implying like you'll find all of the fish, like the fish are right there. So whether out of desperation and frustration, they just put up with the request of Jesus or whether they were just kind of desperate at that point and they're willing to try anything, they throw it in on the right side of the boat. And as you heard the story, they catch so many fish, they aren't able to haul them all in, which is awesome. And here's, here's one of those moments that I love. It's not my favorite part of the story, but I really love this part of the story. Because um, throughout the Gospel of John, we've seen that, that John is really the one that's kind of typically the one to, to gain quick insight. And Peter's the one who's typically the one who will take quick action. Is that not exactly what we see here? John's eyes are open. He's, he's the first one to see. He's like, it is the Lord. And then Peter. Oh, Peter. <laughs> oh, Peter, who's basically fishing naked. The way they described it when they take off their clothes to fish in, in the heat, even though it was night, they'll, they'll go down to almost nothing. So they're almost fishing naked. Um, for whatever reason, he thinks it's important enough to throw on his outer garment. But it doesn't say he jumped in the lake. He threw himself in the lake to get to Jesus. Is that not the most Peter thing you've ever read? Sees Jesus and just throw himself. And you know what? I love it. I absolutely love it. Do you know why? There are so many f fish that his friends can't handle all of it. <clears throat> An amount of fish that would have made a lot of money for them. Because in a minute, we're going to find out they weren't just a lot of fish. They were large fish, right? So they're, they're going to make a lot of money off of this if they take them in and they bring them all in. And they're 100 yards offshore, which in a boat's not that far. But if you, get, if you put clothes back on and then jump in to swim, that's a pretty long way to swim when you're fully clothed. But Peter is so overwhelmed at the sight of Jesus. He's so excited to see him. There is so much joy in, G in Peter seeing Jesus that it doesn't matter. He throws himself into the water as fast as he can. And maybe it's kind of ridiculous, and it is kind of ridiculous, but it's also kind of heartwarming. Yes, I use the phrase heartwarming. It warms my heart. It is a heartwarming moment. Because in this moment, nothing in the world matters more to Peter than Jesus. Yeah, he's kind of abandoning his friends to do all the work, but in this moment, nothing matters more than Jesus. And shouldn't that be at least a piece of what we all long for? That kind of passion, that kind of joy to be in the presence of Jesus, maybe with just a little, a little, a little more, a smidge more wisdom, just a little more wisdom, but that kind of passion, that kind of joy, that kind of excitement. You know what reminds me of? Forrest Gump. Anybody, have you seen Forrest Gump? If you haven't, go home and watch this and you see this part. But like Forrest is coming in, like he's on his boat, he's coming in to the harbor. And then who does he see sitting on the dock? Lieutenant Dan. And him and Lieutenant Dan have been through so much together. He sees Lieutenant Dan, and it's Forrest Gump, I realize, but he sees Lieutenant Dan. And what does he do? Lieutenant Dan! And he automatically jumps off the boat, falls in waving, because in that moment, the joy of seeing his old friend, he forgot everything else, and Forrest just jumps into the lake. Um, I just, I love that moment too. Like, in that moment for Forrest Gump, that's an endearing moment, isn't it? He does a lot of ridiculous things that are just endearing. And this is, no, I'm not comparing, I'm not saying Peter's the, like Forrest Gump exactly, right? But in this moment, he kind of is. And, I, and I, I love it. I love it. So, Peter seems to make it to shore. 
you can kind of see this is written from John's perspective because he doesn't even tell you about after Peter jumped in. His re, if, Peter, if this is from Peter's perspective, he probably would have talked about his, him reuniting with Christ on the shore, but you don't hear that part. You can, you can kind of tell this is from John's perspective because he says, well, we, basically they got to shore. The boat got to shore. They, got, they pulled the fish into shore and they got back there. And the haul of fish was absolutely amazing. Keep reading in verse 9. We read about the haul of fish. John 21, verse 9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. That's an important part, right? And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Now, read this the right way. This is not like they're wondering if it's Jesus. They still can't believe it's Jesus. Like he just appeared before him. He's the resurrected Savior. They're still overwhelmed by the fact that not only Jesus just did a miracle, but that he's here at all. So none of them are like, Jesus, is it really you? That's what this moment is. Like, Jesus, is it really you? They know it's him. And they don't want to ask, but they're just like overwhelmed. And so that's why it says, um, they don't want to ask, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Verse 13, Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This is now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. You know, if you spent time with this and you studied this, you'd realize technically it kind of feels like the book should have ended after chapter 20. Did you ever think about that reading through? I mean, literally, the purpose of the book, John gives us the entire purpose of the book after kind of wrapping up this moment at the end of chapter 20. So it just feels like, kind of feels like if he would have ended it there, it would just kind of put a nice little, little bow on, on the end. Now, I'm about to give you some presumption again. This is my opinion, right? This is my opinion. This is conjecture right now. I'm just letting you know ahead of time. But I think John didn't end in chapter 20 because he loves this moment with Christ, Again, maybe that's presumption on my part, but I think there's a reason John wanted us to know this part of the story when it already had kind of ended like, like some people might have thought it should. Because here's the thing. We'll get to the story in a second, but, you know, there's a lot of people that, that get really locked in on the number of fish. I would say they almost get obsessed over the number of fish, over 153 TJ and I even talked about it, and I did a lot of research on it. Like, people get locked in on the number of fish. They, they think it represents or, or points to all kinds of things in Scripture, that somehow it points to the temple. I'm not going to walk through why, right? Or that it represents the, the new temple and the new heavens and earth and how the, the, the river of living water will flow out of the temple into the nations, and it represents that, that this 153 represents in, in the new heaven and the new earth, how every, um, um, every tongue, tribe, and nation will be represented, and on, on and on and on it goes, right? People think it means all kinds of numbers. I don't tend to get hung up on numerology in the Bible at all. Unless we're talking about the number seven, it's hard for me to get on board. And we're not getting the number seven, right? Like creation, wholeness, completeness. Anyway, 153. And hey, listen, maybe they're onto something. I'm not saying it's impossible. Maybe they're onto something. But if John intended us to get hung up on 153, he hit it pretty well, didn't he? Because he draws almost no attention to it at all other than stating the number. 
But that doesn't mean this moment isn't symbolic. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean something. That's not what I'm saying. But we'll get to that in a second. But maybe the, the, the number 153 was here for, for a purpose that's a little bit more simple. Simple as in, these men were fishermen. Right? And so when they would get, catch all of their fish, they would count them before they took them into market to see how many they caught. That would be normal for them. On top of that, that... I think we're getting kind of get used to miracles, right? But on top of that, they just experienced something amazing. They just experienced a miracle. And now, again, conjecture, but can't you imagine, man, they're getting all, this fi- all these fish and pulling them ashore and counting all these large fish, not just fish, but large fish, and the excitement of counting them and, just, and, and seeing what Jesus do, how Jesus drew them all to him. I just can imagine Thomas, who a minute ago was doubting Jesus, and I was all excited, and Thomas was like, James, did you hear that? 150, there's 153 fish here. I can, like, and just going around, them all talking about just fired up that Jesus did this. They would be freaking out. We read the story, it's like, yeah, it's 153 fish. Cool, it probably means something really cool deep in scripture. Maybe, but it's also just a bunch of guys who just a minute ago were terrified and now they have the resurrected Jesus and he just did this amazing miracle for a bunch of fishermen who know how impossible this is and they're freaking out because this moment is so cool. On top of that, this story would have been repeated again and again and again anywhere they shared the gospel with others. And heck, guys, we're still sharing this story 2,000 years later and being encouraged by it. It's a big deal. It's a big moment. So maybe that's what the 153 is supposed to represent. Maybe more, but maybe just that. But although I don't know, I don't know if the 153 number is supposed to mean something more. I know this moment is supposed to mean something more. Because in Luke 5, Jesus made it clear. And I think he does here. It's a symbol for us. In Luke 5... The first time Jesus told them to cast their nets and the harvest of fish came, if you remember, it was too much for them. It was breaking their nets. It was overwhelming them and their boats began to sink under the weight of the harvest of fish. They could see they weren't enough to bring in the harvest that Christ had given to them. Do you remember that? But when they finally got to shore, Jesus called them and said, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Come and follow me and I'll teach you to fish men. That moment with Jesus and the fish and the harvest wasn't really about the fish. It was about Jesus saying, look, you can't catch anything without me. But in me, look what I can do. Look what I can accomplish. And even if you're trying to do it on your own, your nets are going to rip. You're going to get overwhelmed. You can't do it on you. But listen, come follow me and I'll teach you. I'll teach you. And in me, you'll have enough. In me, you'll be able to do this. In me, you can accomplish more than you could ever accomplish alone. And not to catch fish, but to catch people. But this time, church, this time in Luke 21, it was different, wasn't it? Did you notice the differences? How different it was than the first time? Once again, Jesus told them where the harvest was because they couldn't find it on their own. They didn't know where to go. They didn't know where to throw nets. It wasn't working, but then Jesus told them where to find the harvest. But this time, if you remember the story, if you read it, they weren't overwhelmed. Their nets weren't ripping this time. The fish weren't escaping out of the bottom of the net this time. They, they, weren't, they weren't, as they, they were trying to haul in the fish, their boats weren't overwhelmed. They weren't sinking. No, they brought the catch in. They were, they were able to get it to shore. They weren't sinking under the weight of, of the harvest. The disciples in Luke 21 
now know Christ. They now trust Christ. They now love Christ. And they're not overwhelmed. It's not too much for them now. They're not sinking under the weight of it all. Listen, church, this is us. This is us. The idea of going and making disciples and sharing the gospel and seeing people saved, I mean, for a lot of us, that just seems like an overwhelming thing. It seems like you're not prepared for it. It seems like you can't do it. You just feel overwhelmed by it. And you know what? Without Christ, listen, without Christ, that is an overwhelming thing. That is an impossible thing. It is too much for us. But in him, we have all we need for the mission. I think that's the point that Jesus is trying to get them to see. We're going to see it even more clearly as we move into next week when, Peter, when, when Jesus is calling Peter to be the head of his church, calling him to the mission that he's called him to, even though Peter sometimes seems like a screw-up, like he doesn't understand, like he doesn't get it all. Now, at least Peter has joy and passion and belief. And Jesus is going to tell him next week, listen, do you love me? You're enough because you have me. I think that's the point that Jesus is trying to point us all to. In him, we are enough, not because of us, but because of him. And it's not always going to be easy. And we're not going to always know exactly what we're supposed to do or how we're supposed to do it. But, and, and, and listen, we're still going to have to give our all to it if we're going to do it well. Like we can't go halfway in. We have to give it our all. But listen, if we're in Christ, we won't be overwhelmed. For Christ has called us to the harvest, and his strength and his wisdom and his peace is enough for us. It's enough. This symbol Christ gave us is so that we might have hope in the call to be fishers of men, to go fish for people for his kingdom. But listen, I don't even think it's the best part. Here's my favorite part of the story. This is the moment I really love. And really, who cares what I love? I want you to get what you get out of it, but I do. I love it. After they gather this harvest, after they try on their own and accomplish nothing, and then they trust Christ and listen to his words, and they accomplish basically, when it comes to fish, everything. And they come back to shore after the harvest, the son of the almighty God, right? Not just Jesus, the guy, right? But the son of the almighty God, the savior of the entire world of all of mankind, the King of kings and the Lord of lords makes breakfast for his disciples. I love it so much. He invites them to come sit with him at his fire as he, the king, serves them a meal. Think about that. They they don't come back and serve Jesus. They come back and Jesus serves them a meal. Do you remember what we read in Luke 5, how Peter responded the first time after the miracle of the fish? Peter falls to his knees and he asks Jesus to leave. He asks Jesus to depart, for he just couldn't bear the weight of his own sin. And he couldn't bear the weight of his sin in the presence and the glory of Jesus. How many of you have felt this way, maybe even recently? 
you know, maybe you're not supposed to feel that way. Maybe that's not true. But the weight of your own sin, the weight of your own perfections, the weight of you not being enough. And maybe you didn't say, Jesus, get away from me. But the reality is the way that you reacted, the way that you pushed maybe other people away, your community away, you pushed Jesus away, you pushed prayer away, you pushed the word of God away. Because maybe because you just didn't feel good enough for it, right? You just, you didn't feel good enough for it. Here we are again. And so maybe you didn't cry out, Jesus, depart from me. But with your actions, that's how you respond to this moment. Hear me, Jesus understands that. The Word of God speaks to that. This is not, listen, that's not a new feeling. You're not feeling something unique. You're not the first person to ever do that. Peter himself did that when he first encountered the glory and the majesty of Jesus waited against his own sin. He couldn't handle it because Jesus is so holy. He is so good. Peter was fearful of Christ in his presence, and he longed to be away from him because of his own failure. Yet now, in this moment in Luke 21, now that he truly understands who Jesus is, when he realizes that Jesus is on that shore, he can't move fast enough to get to him. He can't, he can't get there fast enough to be welcomed into his presence, to come to his fire. This church, this is who Christ is if we are in him. This is who he is. Now, is Peter free of sin now all of a sudden? Is Peter perfect all of a sudden now because he's, been, he's following Jesus? No, but now he truly, he's truly beginning to understand. Something that you've heard me say before, you've talked about in life groups before, but it's something that's so hard to hold on to. In his sin, he doesn't have to run from his Savior. In his imperfection, he doesn't have to run away. No, he wants to run to his Savior. He can't wait to get to his Savior, not because he's perfect, but because he understands the truth. And Christ is calling him and he's calling us to come. To come, to come be with him, to come sit with him, to come be in and rest in his presence. There's a pastor and an author named Tim Chester, and he wrote a book called A Meal with Jesus. Now, I recommend that you, get, you guys get this book. It's a really good book on neighboring and how to do that well. And this is what he said. This is one of the things he said in that book. In the seemingly ordinary act of sharing a meal, there is a real opportunity to experience grace and community and mission. And the simple act of sharing a meal. Now again, in the book he was talking about sharing meals together with neighbors and friends and how that can be so much more than just sharing food, but an opportunity to share our very lives with others so they might see the truth and understand the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, so they might experience his grace and his mercy in his community. But church, I hope you see that like, moments like this is where it actually all started. We think of the, the beginning of the church is in Acts 2 after Pentecost, after, you know, the Peter who screws everything up becomes this like juggernaut for the gospel and thousands of people get saved. And that's technically where the, the church started, right? But it also started right here. This is really where the new covenant church began with the resurrected Jesus sharing and serving a meal to his disciples. A meal where they no longer feel like they need to run from him that they need to run from his glorious presence because of their lack, because of their sin, but a meal where they feel and they feel and experience Jesus saying, hey, come near. Just listen, I know all those things. I know all those things. Come. 
You come be with me. I'm your answer. I'm I'm the thing that you need. Yeah, I've given you a lot. The, The harvest it's incredibly important. There's so many people that need saved. You can't do it alone, right? Without me, you're going to fail. But look, listen, in me, you won't fail. And in me, you won't get overwhelmed. And in me, your own sin won't overwhelm you. And in me, the call to go on mission won't over, overwhelm you. You, you. Listen, I'm your answer. Come to me. Sit with me. Be with me. And I'll give you what you need. A meal full of grace and mercy and community with their Savior. Church, this is a picture of heaven. Heaven is described as a meal, as a banquet where we're going to sit with Jesus and just enjoy his presence, his joys, his pleasures, who he is forevermore. And this is just kind of the beginning. It's kind of a picture it's a glimpse into what heaven's going to be like. And so until we get to that full picture one day in heaven where it's joys and pleasure and his presence and feasting and laughing with Christ forevermore, this is what we have now where Jesus is saying, hey, that day will come, but you can come to me now because I'm all that you actually need. Church, I realize, I think we all realize if we're all honest, that striving for holiness can seem exhausting and other times impossible. That word is a big word, holy. Actually going out there into a broken world and sharing the gospel with others seems daunting. And it sometimes feels like we're just not equipped for it. But you know what that, you know what that is? That's us looking to ourselves to be enough. Like, I'm not enough for this. I, I can't do this. When we, and listen, when we try to, to do it ourselves, listen, our nets, nets are going to rip, our boats are going to get overwhelmed, we're going to start to sink because we're not enough. We aren't enough to do what God has called us to, holiness or the harvest. We're not good enough for holiness or the harvest, but thank God for passages like this. This moment when Jesus reminds them it's okay, they're not enough because he's going to be enough for them. He's going to do what they can't do. He's going to bridge the gaps that they can't bridge, that even though they'll fall short, he can still bring the harvest. Even though they don't have the perfect words, he can still bring the harvest. Even though they might not always be looking in the right places or going in the right direction, that's okay. It might, under your own strength, yeah, there might not be anything there, but like, turn back to me. I'll tell you which way to go. I'll show you the way. I'll give you the way. I'll, I'll point you in the right direction, and I'll bring the harvest. Despite it all, he's still welcoming, welcoming them to the fire, still saying, come and sit with me so I can give you what you actually need. What you actually need. For Christ might have all the power and all the glory. But think about this. We're going to talk about this a lot in Philippians. I want you to think about this. He had all the power and all the glory, but he still came. He still left that glory so that he might come, not just to save us, but hear me, serve us. That's, that's crazy. The God of the universe came to save us, yes and amen, but to serve us. As Jesus says, I came not to be served, but to serve. And this is such a beautiful picture. He came to serve his disciples and serve us, those in need, so that we might know that by his strength, we'll have all that we ever need. He is calling you into a life and a mission that actually will matter for an eternity. We're all chasing these things in life. 
as if they're going to give us happiness, as if they're going to give us sustainable happiness, as if these things are going to be enough for us. How many celebrities do we have to hear that are depressed and miserable because they got, they attained that thing that they thought they wanted and now they're more depressed than they've ever been? How many rich people do we have to kind of look up to or, or, or athletes or whatever else that they get, they get to the end, they get to the thing they always wanted, like Tom Brady after five Super Bowls and says, I just thought it would be more. How, how many times do we have to turn to the things of this world till we'll start believing that, that Jesus is actually enough? He has sustainable joy. He has the thing we actually need. He has the thing where our, our happiness is actually found, not in these worldly things, not even in, listen, not even in churchly pursuits. We can, cha- we can chase so hard to be good enough for the church, good enough for ourselves, and feel like good enough for Christ that we can be on mission all the time, but not really pursuing Christ. And even in that thing, find ourselves miserable in the pursuit of holiness or the mission because it's not really about Christ, it's about us. Chasing the wrong thing because we think it's going to make us feel whole. But Jesus is saying, listen, I've got everything you'll ever need. Come to me. He's calling you into a life and a mission that will a mission that will matter for eternity. He's not listen, I want you to hear this. He's not calling you into a burden you must bear. He's not calling you to a burden. He's calling you into something beautiful. Something eternal. Something glorious so that you might walk in his joy, his fullness, so that you might have his peace, so that you might experience his unwavering, steadfast love. And so by his salvation, others lost to the darkness might experience those things too. In Christ, these things are a pursuit of joy and goodness. It doesn't mean they're easy. But as you've heard me say so many times in this life, what, what in this life is worth it? It sustains any kind of goodness or joy or whatever in your life that's easy. He's not called us to easy, but he has called us to good. And so the answer, the question comes, will you come? Will you come and sit in the presence of Christ? You know, and I was going to wrap it up right there. I'm going to wrap it up. But sometimes we say churchy things like, come and sit in the presence of Christ. And if you're not done that in a long time or you're new to Christianity, you're like, what the heck does that mean? Come and sit in the presence of Christ. It can be complicated. It can also be simple. Jesus has told us that in him we have peace with God. That there is no barriers between us and the king of the universe. There's no barrier between us and the father so that we don't have to come in fear to God. We don't have to come in with this thought like, I'm not good enough. I, I sinned once again. I've done this thing once again. He wants us to come with boldness and confidence and confess our sins to him. Confess our sins knowing that we already have forgiveness. Confess our sins knowing that we already have his grace and mercy. That yes, he takes our sins seriously and it is weighty and it's true. And it, it, but, like, but we see the weight of it and the betrayal of it and we realize that Jesus paid for that on the cross and it draws us into thankfulness. It draws us into worship. It draws us into joy that those things are going to be, that have been paid for. Your shame and your guilt for your sin, I know that you feel it, but you take it to the cross because shame and guilt is never going to set you free. You take that shame and the guilt to Jesus Christ. You confess it and you believe the gospel. I have been set through Jesus. Thank you. 
Thank you that you still welcome me to come to you even though I feel so worthless. I feel so unworthy. Thank you that you say I'm worthy. You call me beloved. You paid for that on the cross. You resurrected so that I might actually believe that that's been conquered on the cross and that I can move forward and be set free and not be held by my past, but move into the future that you have for me. That's coming to the presence of Christ. Believing those things are true. Again, this is why we say you've got to read your Bible because you've got to know these true things. This is why we say you've got to be in community because you've got to bring things out of the darkness into the light. I mean, just this week I had someone, uh, I had it multiple times, but just this week someone confessed hard sin to me. I could tell it was wrecking them, but they confessed it. You know what I got to do? Speak the truth of the gospel and I could see it. It's like a weight fell off of them because they felt like they weren't good enough. They aren't good enough. That's the beauty of the gospel. Jesus was good enough for them. They got to confess it, speak the gospel truth so they might move forward because that shame and guilt was gonna cause them to do the same thing again because they're gonna feel worthless, so why don't they just do it anyway? But the gospel will set them free to believe they can walk in freedom and peace and joy and leave that rot behind and walk in freedom and truth and joy and hope. This is walking in the presence of Jesus Christ. This is coming into his presence and believing he is who he says he is. And not looking at your Christianity as your faith, as your pursuit of holiness, as a burden. But as something Christ is saying, listen, come with me. It's not a burden. It's freedom. I'm going with you. I'm here for you. I've done it all. Let's go. It's not a burden for us to bear. It's for us to realize that Christ has given us all that we actually need. That's why I love this passage. The Savior of the universe serving his disciples, inviting them to come despite it all. I'm going to close with Matthew 11 this week. You can turn there if you want, but I'm just going to read it. These are some of Jesus' words that have just spoke truth to me my entire life. Jesus says this in Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 through 30. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us today. Help us. God, what, what joy it is to follow you. What peace it is to follow you. Yet, God, so often we sacrifice those things for our own desires, because of our own fears. Because we just simply, in, whatever, in a moment, just simply can't or won't believe the truth of what you've done and what you've accomplished. We unknowingly listen to the accusations of the enemy who want to destroy us. Jesus, you are so beautiful. You are so giving. I cannot believe that you came down out of all your glory. You came out of your glory in heaven to come here to serve us to save us, but to serve us so that we might see who you really are and through your eyes see who we are. God, 
It's amazing. I hope you, God, I pray you'd help us today to believe that. That you are never, for those of us who believe, that you're never the God pressing down on us saying, be better. That you're the God that says, come, come sit with me. I've already been good enough for you. Come sit with me. I'll I'll show you the way forward. I'll show you how you can be more like me. Come with me, for my burden is light. I'm not giving you a heavy yoke to bear. My yoke is light. It's easy to bear if you just trust me and you believe my words. God, help us to believe those things. So easy to say. So hard to believe and follow. So God... We pray that you would be what you'd be. Jesus, you said you'd send us a helper in the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we are crying out for help, for belief, for faith, and for the truth of who you are to reign over our lives. Jesus, thank you for this amazing example you left us in your word, that you are enough for our holiness, that you are enough for the harvest, and that we can come. Help us to remember, because we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Church, I love you. If you need to confess, there is power 